Hey guys, and welcome back to the Ozspot, GameSpot.eu's official weekly podcast. And this week we are missing one Ms. Laura Parker. Yeah, we are missing one Laura Parker. She's flooded in, apparently. <laughs> so her, um, her flat has, I don't know, there's like a lake in front of it now. And she's staying back home to hold towels underneath yeah. the door. Throw down some sandbags. Like yeah. <laughs> but in her place, we've managed to score a couple of very special guests. Uh, we are joined by uh, Hideaki uh, Itsuna-san from Capcom and Marco, who will be translating for him today. Guys, thank you very much for joining us thank you for on having the us. podcast. First time in Australia. Not, not yours, Marco, obviously. Yeah, this is my second time. Lovely. Will you get much time to, to see the city or are you just working? And over on the, uh, the video today, we have Mr. Edmund Tran, as always. I don't, Hi. I don't, I don't <laughs> think he's on camera so and he's not on a mic. We're not mic now because <laughs> you swore last time. <laughs> this, this is your punishment. <laughs> you know what you did. So, guys, we'll kick straight into it. And uh, Dragon's Dogma, maybe you can give us kind of a 30 second pitch of, of what the game's all about. Okay, so uh, Dragon's Dogma in a nutshell, basically, it's uh, Capcom's first attempt at a action or open world action RPG game. And I guess the main premise is you have a party of four and you're off to defeat this dragon who is uh, taking the main character's heart, literally ripped it out of uh, his, uh, his or her chest. Uh, and the, the way that your party is formed is uh, you have your main character, and then you have three other characters who are called, that are called pawns. And these pawns are they're not quite human. They're kind of soulless. Uh, they don't really have the ability to make decisions on their own, so they follow uh, your main character. Uh, of these three pawns, uh, there are two support pawns and there's one main pawn. Your one main pawn will be with you throughout your journey, throughout your adventures in Dragon's Dogma. The other two are support pawns, which are main pawns of other players around the world that you have borrowed. Uh, and so that's uh, basically the, the main premise of uh, Dragon's Dogma in, in, in a quick nutshell. Okay. Now the pawn system is particularly interesting. We'll revisit that one in a second, but uh, I'm, I'm really interested to find out more about the, the evolution of the, the action RPG and the open world in particular. It's not something we've seen a lot of from Capcom. Uh, in the RPG space, at least, there's a lot of competition at the moment. Uh, tell us about using some of the lessons learned maybe from action games and, and putting an RPG element over the top and how well those two and how easily you, you marry two very different genres like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Right. So uh, basically, uh, we took the, the, fantasy, the fantasy adventure uh, genre, uh, and we thought of games before, and, and you know, all these different elements in, in RPGs, like the puzzles and, and um, I guess, customizing your character and all that stuff, uh, finding items and, and things like that. Uh, and we, took, we broke it all apart. We kind of dissected it. Uh, and then we focused... We decided to after we, di- we after we dissected everything. We d- decided to focus more on the action elements that we that we uh, uh, are known for and we're proud of, uh, and then so we kind of added that the core like we added core action uh, into the game on top of these different RPG elements, and that's that's how we kind of made the blend of uh, the game that is now Dragon's Dogma. Are there things that work well in action games that don't work well in action RPG games? Because the first time I saw this game, at, uh, I think it was E3 last year, it really mm-hmm. struck me as a game that looked like a kind of marriage of Shadow of the Colossus and almost a God of War, but without the quick-time heavy interaction. 
Um, so I'm curious to find out if, if there are things that really work in action games that just don't translate over to an action RPG. Uh, okay. Yeah, so um, we, we don't think that uh, there are too many, I guess, action game elements that don't work in an uh, action RPG uh, type of game, especially in Dragon's Dumb, which what we tried to focus on is uh, implementing action in wherever we could, wherever there might be a quick time event, we decided not to uh, implement that, but instead uh, have the player actually control that themselves. Mm. And uh, mm. for example, if uh, there's a, an item up on a high ledge and you can't get it, but with a special skill you're able to get there instead of, you, you know, instead of uh, an, another way of, like maybe if we, if we put a, a quick time event in there, it wouldn't have been as, I guess, you wouldn't be able to feel mm. like you were uh, doing the action. Uh, now, Itsunasa, I know you're a big RPG fan. Uh, in fact, I read somewhere that you, you own, if not have played, pretty much everything that's been released uh, in, in Japan on the RPG side. Uh, you've you've name-checked some pretty serious Western titles as well, like Dragon Age, uh, Fallout, Fable, Oblivion, and Dragon Quest as, as inspirations for this title. Um, are those influences why this seems to have more of a Western than a, than a JRPG feel? Okay, so, um, yes, as you said... Uh, I have played a lot of Western uh, RPGs, but also a lot of Japanese RPGs, so JRPGs as well. And uh, the w- when when I decided to make Dragon's Dogma, I thought, well, if only Japanese RPGs were expressed in such a way that it was as realistic as Western RPGs, that's what I wanted to accomplish with this. Like so, still being a, a Japanese RPG, but it had a Western feel to it, and it, I wanted to accomplish the same types of things uh, that Western RPGs have accomplished, but uh, still have that Japanese feel to it as well. Uh, are you, Tsunasan? Um, are you worried about um, like how the game will be received in the West, particularly coming so close to something like Skyrim, which has been um, really been one of the sort of the biggest sort of mm-hmm. fantasy RPGs of, of recent time. Does that worry you at all? Okay. So when uh, Skyrim was released, we were actually in, in, well into development of Dragon's Dogma. So um, and even then, I, I didn't really get a, a chance to play Skyrim so much. So we weren't able to use it as a reference for our game. Um, and, and we don't look at it as a, as a competition with, with Skyrim. We're not really worried um, what I wanted to focus most on was how far can we stretch the action genre? Mm. Take something that's traditionally just all action and kind of stretch it in and add elements into it from other types of genres. Um, and, and so while it might look like the setting and, and the, the world might be very similar to Skyrim, uh, it's not at all. And we think that we've... Uh, Accomplished, uh, or we've made a game that you know, will play very differently when uh, people get their hands on it. Okay. Now, I, I'd like to revisit the, the pawns for a second because I think it's probably one of uh, the, the areas that I'm most excited about seeing in Dragon's Dogma. And I, I'd like, uh, there are a bunch of people that probably don't know what Postpad is, and, and uh, as soon as I has spoken about it previously, uh, maybe just a brief recap of what it is and why it never made it to the West, uh, as well as why it was important to make a shared experience through the, the network rather than a cooperative experience online with other users directly. Okay, so um, talking about going back to the post-pet uh, thing, 
uh, basically started about 10 years ago. It was really popular in Japan. And what you could do was you could uh, have your pet send a little message to your friends. Uh, <laughs> and when your friends got that message, uh, they could either say, you know, oh, good job, little pet, or you, know, you can give a little you know, pet, pet them on the head, or you can uh, kind of tease them a bit. And, and then you can send them back to their owners, and then their, their pet, the pet would be like, hey, that guy was teasing me. And so um, that kind of social game aspect uh, is something that uh, Itsun-san wanted to bring into a game from a long time ago. Okay. Actually, I wanted to ask a little bit about um, some of your, um, I guess, the long history you've had with Capcom. So you, you, you were the... Uh, you worked on you know, all the Devil May Cry's after the first one. Uh, I guess you know. Just wanted to get your thoughts on you know how you like how much you've seen of, of, of the latest Devil May Cry, and you know, did you have any thoughts on the direction uh, that they're taking it in? Well, yeah. So uh, as everyone knows, uh, the new DMC is being made in England mm. uh, by Ninja Theory, and uh, when we first came up with the idea to make a new uh, DMC, uh, well, we. I think our, our main concern was what would DMC look uh, or how, how can we make it look a lot uh, cooler to people all over the world. Uh, and so that's when we started getting into talks with uh, working with developers abroad. And, 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 and of course, we were still, a, a lot of the, the direction was uh, still from Capcom. Uh, so we while we were in discussions with Ninja Theory and stuff, we still had a lot of uh, Itsuno-san and, uh, and Eshiro-san. They make frequent trips uh, and have uh, a lot of discussions with Ninja Theory and how to make the game uh, what exactly the, fa- the fans want it to be. Have you had any hands-on with it at all? Have you, have you gotten to play it? And if so, what do you think of it? Okay, so yes... Um, I get a build of the game every month. Oh, there you go. And <laughs> yeah, and I'm making trips to England to Ninja Theory uh, once every two months or so okay. to have discussions on how we can improve the game and stuff. Um, all the while doing DD, so <laughs> I've been pretty busy. And you're here now. And you're here now. And we're here now. Yeah, we're here now. Um, and you know, just looking at your your history as well, you've worked on you know on, on fighting games as well. So you've had a very eclectic um, uh, sort of history in the games industry. Is there any one genre that you that, that you like over over others? Or it's a tough question. Actually, when I first started at Capcom, my first game that I uh, Worked on was a quiz game. Ah, quiz game was and I love quiz games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and also I do I do love action and fighting games. So it's really hard to kind of put my finger on just one genre. Was that why we saw the uh, the almost board game like content in DMC Four? あ、だからあのそのデブルメイクライ4ね。はい、そのボードゲームの要素があった。あれはそうなんですよ。あれは。だ、だ、ウォズネセサリーディケース。はい。でも、でもボードゲームも好きですよ。はい。いや、バディライクス、アイ、アイ、ボードゲームズウェルトゥーだ。あ、ドゥヘ
um, on Facebook wanted to know um, what made him choose gaming as a career choice. Oh, okay. so basically, um, when before before I started working at Capcom or working in the game industry, mm-hmm. uh, before I chose my career, mm-hmm. I thought, well, if I'm going to be working the same job for the majority of my life, I want it to be a fun job. Yeah. So I chose the the most fun job that I could think of. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Um, and we have another question too, uh, which is from uh, Julian on Facebook again. Uh, what's your most memorable moment or job so far in the gaming industry? I mean, you have Capcom, obviously, but so let, let's go with the most and memorable. And all the hats, mo- yeah. Capcom as well. Yeah. What was the most memorable moment of, moment. of your career? Okay, you not, just yeah. a g- not just the game that you worked on, but any moment. Yeah, any moment, yeah. So for me, uh, I think the most memorable moment is actually very, very recent in, in the last couple of years when we started DD. Um, the game that DD has become it, it's it's again a blend of uh, the action genre, RPG genre, and adventure and stuff. So it, it's very difficult to put it into just one genre, and, and uh, that was the first time uh, I've ever w- worked on a game uh, where I had that kind of feeling and I didn't know what type of game this was mm. and, and so that was the most memorable for me is making making this game a couple of other people have chimed in with questions that we've sort of answered um, already uh, so we're going to go with the last question which is what everyone wants to know what have you been playing lately? Ah, <laughs> Apart from your own game in DMC, <laughs> what, what else have you been playing? Private <笑>あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、
that needs to come in the next generation of consoles for the experience to grow, and they have to be visually different uh, and better to the the current generation. Is is that a view that that it's you know, shares? Yes, I do agree. Uh, I think you know as uh, games uh, come out more in the future, visuals are, are going to be very important, uh, but it's also important not to forget uh, that the, the game content itself, uh, the game itself should be also uh, just as beautif- beautiful as the visuals are. Perfect. One, one final question, actually, really quickly. We, we talked a lot about um, Ninja Theory and, and working with some of the Western international partners on traditionally Eastern content, like the, the DMC series. How has that changed the development process internally at Capcom going to, to, to foreign uh, studios where previously they would have done it uh, their way rather than working with a third party? Mm. And is that something that's now permeating the way the development is done throughout Capcom to make more global content rather than region-specific content? So we're basically in the middle of trying to figure out what the best uh, development process is uh, for, for us. Uh, we are working with a lot of uh, Western developers and uh, like, as you mentioned DMC for example uh, Raccoon City is another mm-hmm. example and uh, Lost Planet 3 that just got uh, recently announced um, and so, so we're still in the process so we, we want to try various ways of making new games um, making games that aren't targeted just at Japanese um, audiences but uh, globally uh, we and so to do that, we're we're reaching out more uh, and expanding, I guess, our, our development uh, process. And and one way to do that is you know reaching out more to other development companies around the world. Perfect, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank on you the, very much. The show it's today, Marco. Thank and you very much for having us. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll cut to a very short break, but we'll be back with a couple of more news topics in just a moment. And thanks to the power of live internet television, a couple of webcams in a room and some microphones, we are back. Uh, thank you very much to Itsudo-san and Marco for joining us on the podcast today. Chat a little bit about Dragon's Dogma and uh, an insight into the, the Japanese development mindset. We've swapped a, a Randolph Ramsey and a, a couple of visiting guests for a regular. Jess, thank you Yay, for joining us. Thanks for having me. And we've got a couple more news topics that we're going to run through nice and quickly for you. Uh, the first comes from Cliffy B making a, a statement, as we said, at PAX last weekend. Uh, he's essentially said that graphics are the, the big thing that need to improve for us to be able to get to that next-gen hurdle. He, um, we've got a quote from here, and he said, face-melting graphics. I really want our next-generation consoles to pass what I call the mom test, so that if you were to show the console and games to your mom, she would be like, wow, that clearly looks better than your last console. And it's an essential step that needs to be taken by both Sony and Microsoft. Pretty big words, considering that we're already at a, a pretty decent visual level yeah, well, now. that's what I was thinking when I read that as well. I mean, I think graphics are getting really good. I mean, that's what we keep hearing, you know, when the heavy rains and whatever else are coming out in that, wow, we're, we're getting to that stage where we're developing, you know, really good uh, facial motion capture and body motion capture and stuff to the point where it is, you know, face melting. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I said in a previous episode, you know, I remember seeing screenshots of the Dreamcast games when they first, you know, were announced and I was like, wow, it cannot mm-hmm. get any better than this. But like, how much how much better can we get 
that that's the, the question. I mean, how much Who better knows, do we want right? it to get? I mean, do we want it to get to the stage where it's like, you know, those movies that are animated but they kind of don't look animated? Yeah, I mean, Kenny Valley. Uh, Kenny Valley stuff, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's still uh, there's the, that thing about having that line between still creating stuff that looks animated that doesn't look realistic. Because I think uh, there was some study that it makes people uncomfortable if it looks too realistic. And, um, yeah, I think games toe that line. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we're at the point where it's okay to kill pixels because they're not people. But once they start looking like fully fleshed, formed out humans, are we going to run into a, a conscience crisis where people don't want to play yeah. really mature content because well, it's too extreme. Yeah, I think we're already getting that. I mean, I just happened to be going through um, the heavy rain endings today and they can't show the stuff where like, um, if you get the really, really terrible ending, I didn't, thank God, Ethan will hang wait, himself wait. at the end. Okay. Spoiler! Oh, whoops. Sorry. Spoiler! <laughs> That's okay. Spoiler before that. Um, yeah, and uh, well, it's only if you go if you go down to that road. Yeah, if you no one really will play that badly. You have to yeah. play so badly. But um, yeah, and uh, and and you can't show it because that game is quite realistic in its graphics. Well, I mean, yeah. they, they could show it, but then there's a matter of you know. Well, you yeah, know, all the hurdles and, you know, with just visual like, taste storytelling. in games. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but um, you know, Chicken makes a point. You know, not all games are even you know 1080p these days. You know, they're still at 720, and you know, mm. there could be better textures. But then there comes the point of putting the manpower into like building those textures and building you know each blade of grass, and mm. yeah, just it gets ridiculous and expensive. So, yeah, so do you guys agree? Is it is is graphical fidelity going to be the not the only thing, but one of the key factors that will push us from the Xbox 360 to the next Xbox? and the PlayStation 3 to 4, if either exist. I mean, I suppose that's always going to be a factor. I mean, that's just one of those big things that we see moving forward from console to console. Yeah. But I don't think it's the be-all and end-all. No, it's a nice thing to have, but like, at the stage we're at, it's not really that necessary. Like, yeah. But shouldn't we talking be talking more about the, the evolution of mature themes and, uh, you know, games like Heavy Rain and Journey and... Uh, th- that really do evolve the medium rather than just that it looks a little better than it did last generation. Mm. But th- those are different scopes to different parts of the industry. The blockbuster games, the AAA games will want to do that. Do you, you think know? they sell more on graphics than they do on story oh, or universe? Or? I think people still go to the game stores and you know people still fight about 360 versus PS3 graphics. Of course. People still go to game stores and like, oh, look at the screenshots on the back of the box and whatever yeah. looks better, you know, I will buy, um, you know. But then don't we also run the risk of creating almost a glass ceiling for ourselves where we say, um, you know, graphics, like, kind of like, I, I think of it like I do CPUs. And there was a time where, and, and cameras, you know, megapixels was everything. Yeah, right. and, and, you know, it would be, well, this one's better than yours because it's six to seven megapixels. But now they've gotten like, as big as they can possibly exactly. get. Now they just have to make it finer. Exactly. You know? But yeah, then yeah. do you just change the, the field at some point? Do you say graphics are one of the key driving factors until we get to some sort of limit and then we'll move on to the next thing that really matters that we haven't decided to measure against yet. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. I think graphics are important, but I think the emphasis seems to be put on it too much. I mean, from the next console, it's going to be so many different factors beyond that. I mean, and as Ed said, once you start start talking about making better and better graphics, you're talking about more and more money, which is going to go into that and away from other things, and then it becomes a big juggling type thing. You think it's a, an offset? You know, if you're going to yeah. spend more on graphics, then you've got less money to spend on story or universe. Yeah. It makes me wonder if games like yeah. Gears of War and Mass Effect and, and uh, other 
more simple games, you know, whether they could still have attained the same audience and, and cult following and commercial and, and critical success without the graphics of today? I mean, it, it, maybe there's a, a, a revolution in devolving, you know, in, in going the other way and saying we have all this capability, but it's just as viable to make something that isn't cutting edge that puts that same effort into a, a different area. Yeah, I'd say so. Yes. Cool. <laughs> yes. I like when we talk yeah. about video games. Let's move on to the last piece of news for the week, and it's it's a rumor mill one. Apple Insider is reporting that Apple CEO Tim Cook has visited Valve's headquarters yeah. in Bellevue, Washington recently. Uh, neither company went into details on the meeting, but it has again fanned the questions around whether or not Valve is looking to move into the hardware space. Jess, is Apple shacking up with Valve? No. Please. No, no, no. Why not? No, Apple fan. (laughs) Um, No, no, I don't think so. I just don't. I won't believe it, no. (laughs) Oh, good. Ed? Oh, yeah, there there were those rumours about Valve doing a hardware, looking into hardware. and Yeah. Apple's always been looking into getting the games. But I, th- I think I think I think it's the best. Like personally, like I think from Apple's a, already from, in games. Yeah, well, yeah. But yeah from, from like but... a consumer point of view, like it's, that's like the the best of two worlds and coming together. And you know, I'm all for no, that. No, it's you know. not. Why, it's why the best of one the, why, world, why? and then it's the Apple world. Is over here. What do you mean? Well, like Apple can make the okay, nice hardware. Steam, Steam, right? Steam Valve, that whole little conglomerate is PC gaming. Yeah. Mac is not PC gaming. Yeah, you, Steam's on Mac. So what are those? Yeah. Yeah. Have anything to do Valve with each other? Valve likes Mac. Valve loves Mac. Yeah, but you can get earbuds computer to games don't like Mac. That's <laughs> why do. everything comes out on Mac later, and half things don't come out on Mac That's at true. all. That is true. Like I've been, I've been playing um, some Civilization lately, and like the Mac version of it um, was just so chunky, uh, chuggy on. Because uh, on my Mac, because you know it's designed mm. for PC hardware, so yeah. I, I have to boot camp Windows to get the native, you know. But I mean, that's thing. why but, you're a console gamer. But <laughs> there are there are so many games that you know are built simultaneously for PC and yeah. Mac together, and you know, once it, if it becomes a big thing, then obviously developers will have to you know think about it. Would it be a good about move on on Valve's part to to shack up with someone who we know can make gaming hardware at least in some capacity, or are they the kind of company who is you know they're entirely self made? Um, they, they've got the platform for distribution. Would it make sense for them to go with someone else or to just build their own device so they can control the mechanism with the consumer and interface directly rather than through a third party? I think they could build their own. I mean, I guess it's good to get involved with somebody who knows the you know, the process better and the you know what what consumers want from hardware and stuff. I just don't think the apple of those mm. people. Why not? Because <laughs> I don't like apple. <laughs> Oh, that's a getting that sense. <laughs> or to you know throw another kind of curveball in there, is it possible that Apple is readying its own piece of hardware and Valve wants to be a day one supporter of the device? So the reason that they're hiring hardware and uh, software engineers at the moment is to interface yeah. with whatever may mm. be coming down. And, and you know that's not that we have an inside tip, but that's also a possibility, right? Yeah, well, I mean, because all the ads have been going up and whatnot, so I mean something's going down. Ads? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're all looking for who are they after? Oh, right. Hiring, yeah, they're hiring. they're hiring hardware yeah. and software engineers at the moment mm. for, and they haven't. Well, they've they've said that it's for hardware, but they haven't said if it's their hardware yeah. or someone else is they're looking to to so work ambiguous. with. All right, guys. Well, whoa. Oh, Ed, you have a thought? No, I have no thought. <laughs> Almost. 
Almost had a thought there. <laughs> I think that wraps it up for another week of the Ozspot. Jess and Ed, thank you for joining me. Thanks. Thanks. We uh, we miss Laura Parker. Randolph would say goodbye. Yeah. Uh, but first, let's do a really quick rip around with the competitions. And we're giving away a Samsung Series 7 gaming notebook, or two actually, and each comes with a copy of Skyrim for the PC. That's closing in early May, I believe. So you want to get your competitions in at www.gamespot.com.au forward slash comps. And that wraps us up. Cool. We'll see you again next Tuesday with a live stream. Uh, Just a reminder that the live stream is going out now, obviously, but we will be taking a little bit of time to edit the, um, the, the audio version and it will be up possibly later today or maybe tomorrow. Thanks we'll for the next day. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, before next Tuesday. <laughs> Guys, thank you very much, and we'll see you again next time. Bye. See you. Bye.